Today, you're gonna to hear about a man who started out with nothing, but made a decision that he was gonna have everything. And he built an empire. And this man's name is Vince McMahon. Hey everybody, and welcome to the NC Everything Podcast. I'm your host Curtis, and this is the weekly show where I talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. Now my past few episodes have, have been kind of short, shorter than I'd like, but I got a lot of information here, so this one could be a long one. Of course, by the time you're listening to it, uh, you can see exactly how long it is, but at the moment I have no idea. Fortunately for you guys, I don't have a whole lot of housekeeping to do except to say thank you for being here. If you're a returning listener, as always, thank you for sticking with me. And if you're a new listener, thank you for giving me a try. And one thing I try to stick at the beginning and the end of every show is my self-promotion. So if you like this show, you can listen to all my past episodes at www.thenceverythingpodcast.com and you can listen to my handful of YouTube episodes by searching The NC Everything Podcast on YouTube, but I'll have links to both of those in the show notes or the description. Now, for those of you who are just listening through a podcast player or the website, I am recording for YouTube and the podcast at the same time, and I'm sitting outside, so you're going to hear birds and all kinds of noise. I don't think it's been much of a problem in the past, but if you do have an issue with the audio, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know about it. That way I can try to make a better show for you. And I think that's everything, so let's go ahead and get into it. Today is kind of a listener suggestion, and what I mean is two of my listeners, Mitch and Megan, they reached out and they wanted me to cover wrestlers from North Carolina. And when I looked into it, um, that's, that's going to be a, a multi-episode uh, uh, thing. There's several wrestlers from North Carolina, several North Carolina wrestling aspects that I want to cover. So I'm going to pepper that in as I go. But while I was looking into that subject, I realized that Vince McMahon is from North Carolina. And so I knew I had to cover him before I could cover anybody else. So thank you, Mitch, and thank you, Megan, for that suggestion, and thank you, Kristen, for getting that message to me. Now, a few things I need to say before we get started. One, I know it's pronounced wrestling. All my life, I've called it wrestling. My wife gets on my, my butt about saying wrestling, and so though you'll hear me say wrestling probably a few times in here when I think about it, I'm probably going to say wrestling most of the time, so please don't judge me too hard. As far as the breakdown of this episode goes, I'm going to give you a brief history of wrestling, and then I'm going to tell you about the McMahon family. And then I'll get into Vince McMahon himself and the wrestling career around him. Now, once I get into that part, I might say Vince, I might say McMahon, I might say WWF. But just keep in mind that all three of those things are all Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon is WWF. All right, so let's get started. So if we're trying to trace the history of wrestling, we'll have to go back 5,000 years to Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia is in modern-day Iraq. Now, I'm going to screw up these, uh, these pronunciations, but we got Gilgamesh. A lot of you have heard of Gilgamesh. Well, he was the king of Uruk. Well, he's on his way to marry Ishara. Well, he runs into Enkidu, and Enkidu was sent to compete with Gilgamesh. And that was kind of a, a traditional thing, I suppose. Um, you know, you need to, to prove yourself before you can marry. So they start wrestling. And Gilgamesh grabs Enkidu by his belt and lifts him up over his head. And that's what they call belt wrestling. And that was 
kind of the style back then in Mesopotamia. Now let's go over to Egypt. They think in Egypt, wrestling started about 2400 BC. Now the reason they think this is because they discovered a Mastaba tomb in a place called Saqqara. And on this tomb, it depicts 12 boys wrestling. And so they think this is probably the, the earliest sign that there was wrestling going on in Egypt. And since then, they found other depictions of wrestling around Egypt. Now in Greece, wrestling was a really big thing, but it wasn't just for, for fun, it was for training. And like everything in Greece, it was kind of an art. And it was a little different than it was in Egypt and Mesopotamia. The, the Greek boys, they would get naked and cover their bodies in oil, and then they'd sprinkle some sand all over their body to protect their, their skin from getting sunburned and, and stuff like that. And that's how they would wrestle. Uh, sandy, oily, naked wrestling. And this was kind of freestyle wrestling, but the rules were uh, the first person to throw his opponent or get him down on his back, hips, chest, knees, or elbows was the winner. Now then during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, wrestling was performed in castles by the, the elite and the royalty, though I'm sure it did take place down in the villages too. And just to show you how old wrestling is, the first book that was ever printed was printed in 1500, and by 1512 they already had a manual for wrestling. Now that was all tradition and freestyle wrestling, now I want to tell you about professional wrestling. Pro wrestling began in France around 1830. Like I said, most of the wrestling at the time was done in castles by the, by the elite society. So people who didn't have access to this elite, they would form these wrestling clubs and then they would travel around and kind of show off what they could do. Now they would also challenge the public. For a price, you got a chance to try to knock one of these wrestlers out. Well, in 1848, a Frenchman named Jean Exbroyat appears on scene. And he started this wrestling circus and he also laid out some rules for, uh, some really strict rules for how wrestling should be done. And he named this, this wrestling style flat hand wrestling. Well, he dies in 1872 and a guy named Resignal Rollin takes over that, that wrestling circus. Now he done something a little different. He was going around advertising these, these wrestling matches. And he was also arranging matches that would make the crowd happier. And he started rewarding the fighters if the crowd liked him, or he'd kind of punish the fighters if the crowd didn't like him. And if that sounds familiar, that's pretty much what wrestling promoters do today. And so they think this guy, Rosignal Roland, may have been the very first wrestling promoter. And from here, wrestling started spreading all around the world. Now that's the, the broad history of wrestling. Um, I know I, I could have talked about it for a lot longer. There's a lot of stuff I missed. But now we're gonna zero in on one family. Now American wrestling has always been kind of a family thing. And that may be a worldwide thing, but I only really know about American wrestling. And a lot of big names in wrestling are the Flares, the Hearts, the Guerreros, and the Savages and the Hardys. But there's only one family that really sits at the top of all that, and that's the McMahons. And for a lot of you, there's only one McMahon you know, and that's Vince McMahon, more specifically Vince Jr. But we'll get into him in just a little bit. The real McMahon story starts with a guy named Roderick James McMahon Sr. And he went by Jess, so that's what I'm going to call him. Jess McMahon was born in Harlem, New York, and he was the son of Irish immigrants. And he really started it all because he was managing and promoting boxing matches around New York. 
And that wasn't all he was doing. He also started several Negro baseball leagues around New York. And those aren't my words. That's just what they called it back then. But he also ran a casino. Well, eventually, he moved away from boxing matches and started promoting wrestling matches. And it didn't take him long to figure out that he could, he could turn this into a big thing if he wanted to. Well, in 1945, two things happened. One, Jess got his son, Vince McMahon Sr., to start helping him promote matches. And Vince McMahon Sr. fathered a son down in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And his name was Vince McMahon Jr. And that's probably the only North Carolina I'm going to mention in this episode. But it is NC Everything Podcast, the show where we talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. And so since Vince Jr. was born in Pinehurst, he qualifies for this show. So let me give you a rundown on Vince Jr. before I get back into the story. He was born on August 24th, 1945. But even though I'm talking about the, the McMahon family, uh, pretty much as soon as Vince Jr. was born, Vince Sr. got out of there. So now Vince Jr. is living with his mama and whatever stepdad comes through. And there were a few of them, the way I understand it. And one of his stepfathers in particular was real abusive to Vince and his mama. Later in life, after the, this stepdad had passed away, Vince had said, and I'm paraphrasing, that it was a shame that his stepdad had died because he wanted to kill him. And he wasn't joking. Well, eventually he went to Fishburne Military School in Waynesboro, Virginia, and he graduated in 1964. And the rest of his life is made up with his wrestling career, which I'm going to continue talking about right now. So we're at 1948. Now Vince Jr. is still a baby. He, well, he's three years old. He's not really in the store yet. But in 1948, the National Wrestling Alliance is formed. And this National Wrestling Alliance goes by the NWA. And I know there's another NWA out there. It kind of caught me off guard too. But we're not talking about them in this episode. By the way, there is a lot of abbreviations in here, like NWA. I'm, I may end up flip-flopping back and forth between saying the whole name and saying the, the abbreviation. It may get confusing. Um, it was kind of hard for me to keep up during my research. I had to keep going back and forth and, and checking out what this abbreviation meant as opposed to that one. But anyway, the NWA is the governing body of wrestling promotions. And a wrestling promotion is just a company. So WCW, WWF, ECW, those are all wrestling companies or wrestling promotions. And the way wrestling in the United States worked back then, there were territories. And a lot of this was set up by the NWA. And what I mean by territories, uh, the Western state sports was in the New Mexico and Texas area. The World Wide Wrestling Federation, which I'm going to get back to, that was in New England and in North Carolina. There was the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And the NWA, they sanctioned fights within these territories. But the number one rule was one territory did not go into another territory. You, you just didn't do that. And remember that number one rule because it comes back around. So you got the NWA that governs all the promotions. Well, in 1952, Jess McMahon and his son, Vince Sr., they formed their own promotion called Capital Wrestling Promotions, or CWC. And as soon as they were on the ground, Jess McMahon wanted to start making it bigger and, and growing it and expanding it. Well, eventually his partner, Vince Sr., was able to get a two-hour spot on local TV. And a lot of the other promotions got really pissed by this. See, the thing is, they made their money off ticket sales. 
And their thinking was, if you could watch wrestling on TV, why would you go buy a ticket? So in their eyes, Vince McMahon was taking money out of their pocket and food out of their mouth. Well, the McMahons, they disagreed with this. They thought that if people saw wrestling on TV, they would be more interested in it, and then they would want to go see it live. And they were right. Ticket sales did go up instead of down. But one common factor with the McMahons is they push the envelope. They don't mind stepping on people's toes, and they don't mind getting edgy. And so once wrestling was on their two-hour TV spot, a lot of people who weren't fans to start with, they got to see what was going on here, and they weren't too comfortable with what they were seeing. You see, the thing was, these wrestlers have characters that they personify. And the more flashier you are or the more people talk about you, the better off you are. And one of the characters that appeared on this TV spot was Carl Van Hess. And his character was described as a bloodthirsty Nazi. And it's 1952. The world is still pretty sensitive about the Nazi thing. Now, his character, being a bad guy, you know, he was a Nazi, he lost every single match that was, that was arranged that way, but the world still hated him. So people started screaming for McMahon's head. But the McMahon's, their stance was, if you don't like it, you just reach up and change the channel. Don't watch it. But the thing was, everybody was watching it because uh, bad attention is still attention or negative attention is still attention. And so, you know, they would hear about this Nazi on TV and we should get him off TV. And then a thousand people would go cut the TV on to see what everybody's talking about. And that, that hasn't changed much today. If you hear about something sensational, even if you don't agree with it, a lot of times curiosity does get the best of you and you go check it out. All right, let's make a quick stop in 1957. Vince McMahon Sr. meets his 12-year-old son, Vince McMahon Jr., for the very first time since he was an infant. And he doesn't just meet him. Um, they start a relationship at this point. So now Vince Jr. is kind of in the story, but he's still in the background. Now we're at 1963. And the NWA had their world championship. And there was a lot of disputes over who the winner was. And so the McMahons, who had the Capital Wrestling Corporation, CWC, they leave the NWA and they form the World Wide Wrestling Federation, WWWF. All right, quick stop in 1966. Vince McMahon Jr., who's now 21, he marries his wife Linda down in New Bern, North Carolina. And in 1969, Vince McMahon Jr. joins his father, Vince McMahon Sr., and his grandfather, Jess McMahon, at WWWF. And I hope when I say all these W's are coming through okay uh, in the audio, but I promise you that I'm, I'm editing out uh, a whole lot of uh, tongue ties. Hey, Charlie. So in 1971, Vince Sr. takes over WWWF from his dad. Now, Jess McMahon still owns it, but Vince Sr. is just running it. Also in 1971, Vince Jr. starts working as an announcer for the WWWF. Now, remember what I said about being sensational? Well, in 1973, there's this guy named Andre Rene Rusimov, and he meets the McMahons, and this guy's humongous. And I don't mean his stardom, I mean he's, he's physically humongous. Well, the McMahons decide to make him a special attraction in the WWWF, and they call him Andre the Giant. Now, a couple things happened in 1979. Vince Jr. goes to his dad, and he says that they should change the World Wide Wrestling Federation, WWWF, into just the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF. 
And so that's what happens. So now it's the WWF. Also in 1979, Vince Jr. meets this wrestler from Georgia for the first time, and his name is Terry Eugene Bollea. Now, this guy, Bollea, he, like I said, he was wrestling in a Georgia promotion, and he was using the name Hulk Boulder. Well, Vince Jr. liked him a lot, and he wanted him to come up to the WWF to work. But Bollea was working for the Georgia Championship Wrestling Promotion, and he was pretty happy there. So that's where he stayed. Now, in 1983, the year I was born, Vince Jr. buys Capital Sports from his father. And Capital Sports, like I said, that's the parent company of WWF. Well, Vince Jr. has some, some really big ideas for the WWF. He wants to get away from the territory thing and make WWF a national thing. But remember what I said, number one rule, you don't go into somebody else's territory. Well, Vince Jr. didn't care nothing about this. He wanted to take it all. And he didn't have any plans to be civil and nice about it. And so he would go into other territories and he would pick fights and he would offer deals to their wrestlers to come to WWF. And it was working. He was becoming known around the country. You see a territory in California didn't know anything about a territory in New England, but Vince is on the road and he's making a lot of waves. So now they're starting to talk about this Vince McMahon guy all around the country. And it's pissing everybody off. Vince and his wife, Linda, were receiving death threats. Uh, in one interview, she talks about rocks and bricks being thrown through the windows and people saying they're going to kill them. But Vince would just shrug this off, you know, and he would tell her, that's, that's just the business I'm in. And to make things worse, also in 1983, McMahon makes deals to start broadcasting WWF on national television instead of just local. Now, another story I want to tell about 1983 while Vince Jr. is on the road, he meets a little 11-year-old kid named Dwayne Johnson. Now, Dwayne Johnson's dad was a wrestler and a promoter for the WWF, so he's traveling around with Vince McMahon already, and he's got his son, Dwayne Johnson, with him. Well, Vince McMahon shakes this little 11-year-old kid's hand, and 13 years later, Dwayne Johnson would start working for Vince. He makes his first WWF appearance as Rocky Mavia. Well, when Dwayne Johnson first came out, he was, he was what they call a heel, which means you're supposed to make the crowd hate you. That was his character. That was his persona, is make the crowd hate you. And he did a really good job. Uh, I, I read that people were chanting, die, Rocky, die. Well, it was around this time that the crowd really started hating him, that he started calling himself The Rock instead of Rocky, and he started talking about The Rock in the third person. Anyway, back down we go. 1984, Vince buys the Georgia Championship Wrestling Promotion for $900,000. And one thing, when you buy a promotion, you get everything they have. So the GWC had a normal TV spot that now belonged to Vince McMahon. And the way he announced the buyout was he appeared on GWC's regular TV spot and he told the world. So these people are... are tuning in to watch their, their Georgia wrestlers uh, do their thing for the night. And this guy, Vince McMahon, comes out and says, I own this now. Have a nice night. Well, this became known as Black Saturday. Now, Vince didn't just get the Georgia Championship Wrestling Promotions TV spots. He also got their wrestlers. And this included that guy, Bolea that he had met earlier. So since now Terry Bolea works for him, he starts building a character for him. He tells Balea that he wants him to have a, a, an Irish persona. 
So he changes his name to Hulk Hogan, and he tells him that he wants to dye his hair from blonde to red. Well, I guess that's where Balea drew the line because he tells Vince that he's going to be a blonde Irish. Well, that obviously wasn't a deal breaker because Hulk Hogan became one of the most famous names in the wrestling industry. And him and McMahon have been lifelong friends ever since. In 1985, WrestleMania is launched, and this attracts a lot of celebrities like Muhammad Ali and Cindy Lauper. And actually, talking about Cindy Lauper, I know you guys all know her song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Well, if you watched a music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun, her dad is this big old giant guy. Well, he's actually a wrestler named Captain Lou Albano. And McMahon had arranged for him to be in the music video in an effort to promote wrestling. Anyway, back to the story. It was around 1985 that McMahon really started hammering down on the promotion, like I said with the Cindy Lauper video, but he also started adding a bunch of pay-per-views. This included SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, the Survivor Series, and King of the Ring. Several years later, in 1993, he would launch Monday Night Raw. Now this came out on the USA Network, and this put him in the, what they call the primetime spot. And most of you know, as far as TV scheduling goes, that's where you want to be. And this was probably around the time that I first started watching wrestling. I would have been 10 years old at this time. And I didn't say this at the beginning, but I'm not a huge fan of wrestling. I mean, I, I watched some of it when I was a kid, but I never did follow all the storylines that close. Um, I like watching it when I, when I was going through the channels and I seen it was on, I, I would watch. But I wouldn't call myself a hardcore fan. In 1995, a guy named Steve Anderson joins WWF. His character name is Stunning Steve Austin. Also, in 1995, a guy named Mark Calloway joins the WWF. Now, he left the WCW, and the WCW is WWF's biggest competitor at this time. So, Mark Calloway joins McMahon, and if you don't know exactly who that is, his ring name is The Undertaker. Now, in 1996, Vince McMahon started wrestling himself, and his ring name was Mr. McMahon. Now, maybe that doesn't sound very creative, but his persona was based on his real life. So Mr. McMahon was a businessman and, you know, his, his slogan was, you're fired. Now, he never did make it huge on the, in the ring like Hulk Hogan or Dwayne Johnson. But Mr. McMahon did have a whole storyline, including faking his own death and having his business taken over by Triple H. And I could talk for hours about all the different storylines in WWF, but that's not what we're here for, so let's keep on moving through the story. Now we're at 1997. And this is the beginning of what they call the Attitude Era. So again, Vince is kind of pushing the envelope. He's trying to get a little edgier. So in this Attitude Era, wrestlers like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Mankind, Triple H, and Kurt Angle appear. In 1999, SmackDown is launched, and in 2002, Vince McMahon gets sued. Now, he gets sued by the World Wildlife Fund over the initials WWF. And I didn't know you could sue somebody for initials. Um, I feel like I know a lot of, um, a lot of companies that, that share the same initials. But McMahon loses this lawsuit and has to change WWF to something else. And so this is when WWE becomes a thing. World Wrestling Entertainment. But that lawsuit and that name change, it didn't get them down. In this same year, WWE buys WCW. And then remember, I said WCW was WWF's biggest competitor, but now Vince McMahon owns it. 
And so now he's officially the biggest wrestling promotion in the industry. And the last thing about 2002, this is when a new wrestler comes out. And his name is John Cena. And John Cena is important because in 2008, McMahon wants to move toward more family-friendly programming. And John Cena, you know, he's straight as an arrow. He's everybody's favorite. So he becomes kind of the, the face of this family-friendly era. And over the years, they went through several different eras. And Vince was steadily buying out all his other competitors. Now, back to Vince's personal life for a few minutes. Him and Linda had two kids, Shane and Stephanie, and both of them worked for Vince at WWE. In fact, Stephanie ended up marrying Triple H. Now, I'm getting close to the end of this episode. I just want to reiterate, Vince McMahon started out with an absent father, a line of abusive stepfathers, and he was raised in a mobile home in Pinehurst, North Carolina. So, like I said at the top of the episode, he, he started out with more or less nothing. Well, today, his net worth, it fluctuates around a billion to $2 billion. He has a $12 million penthouse in Manhattan, a $40 million mansion in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a $20 million vacation home, along with a 47-foot yacht he calls Sexy Bitch. Now, I know Vince McMahon, his character and his real life, um, he hasn't always been the most likable guy, but I do like this story. I like the rags to riches of stories anyway, and this one hits home because it's from North Carolina, and even though Vince probably hated his time in North Carolina, it still makes me feel good that somebody, an underdog, can rise above all that and end up with a yacht called Sexy Bitch. And that's Vince McMahon, guys. You might love him, you might hate him, but he's the reason that everybody, and I mean everybody, is Hulk Hogan's brother. He's the reason that we can smell what The Rock is cooking. And he's the reason that we always say, and his name is, before we introduce John Cena. He didn't bring these guys up, but he did bring them out. And that wasn't all. There, there's a long list of wrestlers that you know that have worked with, worked under, and helped out Vince McMahon. And that's all I got. Thank you, Mitch and Megan, again for suggesting that episode. And thank you all for listening or watching. Now, if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because that's going to help me get discovered. And check out the links below to go to the website or YouTube and check out all my past episodes. And you can join the Facebook group by searching the NC Everything Podcast on Facebook, but I think I'm going to have a link for that down below too. And the last link you're probably going to find down there is the contact link. If you have an idea for an episode or you just want to reach out and say hello or tell me a North Carolina story, you hit the contact button or you can contact me through the website and I'll be happy to talk with you. Well, I know for you guys, Easter weekend was last weekend, but for me, it's today. And I got a lot of work to do because we're going to have an Easter egg hunt out here on Sunday, so I need to get ready for that. But you guys have a good week and I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from archesaudio.com and freepd.com.